Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on a Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We go up until 610 today, and then we bring you Red Sox baseball, Red Sox Mariners, kicking off a four-game set from Fenway Park. And joining us now is our ESPN MLB insider, Buster Olney. Buster, how are you? What's up, Brady? How's I, it going? It's, 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 I'm conflicted. I, I hate this weekend. It's head versus heart, personal life against work life for me. I have decided I'm rooting for the Mariners to sweep the Red Sox, but I'm rooting for the entire AL East to lose for the next four days so the Red Sox don't lose any ground. Yeah, you can't root against your neighbors. Uh, I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, Red Sox fans now are on edge. They're concerned about what's going to happen. As you started today, they're 13 games behind the Yankees. They're teetering toward a midseason fire sale. Xander Bogart's maybe going out. And you can't tell your friends in Vermont, look, I'm okay with that. So, yes, you can privately you know, burn candles for the Mariners, but publicly you need to be rooting for the Red Sox. <laughs> I'm going to be at the game on Sunday, so I'm looking forward to uh, being at Fenway for the first time since 2019. It should be. I, I've already come to the conclusion that uh, after uh, let's see Tuesday's horrific performance, Nathan Evaldi will have a eight-inning shutout against the Mariners on Sunday. Well, if I were you, I'm wearing a your your Mariners T-shirt underneath whatever else you're wearing. You can keep the Mariners close to your heart, but don't show anybody. <laughs> you can tell from the reaction of Red Sox fans the other day, they're on edge right now. And uh, Nathan Avaldi got an ugly reception. I think you walking in and doing a victory dance in a Mariners shirt is <laughs> not going to go over well. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to Sunday. Let's get to right, – right now, the Red Sox have won four of six. You can't get back into this thing without winning series, and they take two out of three in Texas, and they get two out of three against the Astros. Now – they avoided Framber Valdez and Justin Verlander, so I guess my question is, are the Red Sox playing better, or did they luck out in not seeing Houston's 1-2? Well, I do think they're actually playing a little better, uh, and I would say this, that you know, you expected that to happen. They have too many good players. Um, you know, there are a lot of teams that are stabilizing. I think it was two weeks ago we had you know, seven or eight teams were on a pace to win 100 games, and seven or eight teams were on pace to lose 100 games. And now that number's gone down. So you got six teams on a pace to win 100, four teams on pace to lose 100. The Red Sox, thankfully, are not one of the four teams on pace to lose 100. But we'll see how long they can keep going. And as you and I talked about at the end of April, uh, you can't win the division in April, but you can lose it. And 13 games, uh, you know, in a deficit to the Yankees, a team that's winning three-quarters of its games, that is a tall mountain in front of them already. You know, let's talk about the addition of the the third wild card, or the, see, the addition of the extra wild card team, I should say. Um, the Red Sox may not be in position to get that wild card, but they're going to be at least around the conversation. So I guess my question is, is how does that impact what the front office does here as we move through the summer? Because I could easily make a case for them to stay the course and try to back into the last spot in the playoffs. And I could also easily make the course that like they should be looking to actively trade J.D. Martinez because he's been great and they can get more the sooner they move him. How does this extra wild card team kind of impact what teams do? Yeah, and I think that you know fans would say, look, if we have a chance to be in a postseason series, then you go for it, right? You can't give up. I will tell you that privately, most teams that you speak with, most front office executives feel like we're not going to go crazy augmenting a team that's going for you know potentially one series. Um, you know, occasionally you have teams that will be aggressive in those circumstances. You, you know, the best example in recent years when the Cubs 
2016 were trying to win their first World Series in 108 years. They spent big to get uh, Aroldis Chapman. But I think for the most part in these analytically driven front offices, they don't think the math makes sense to pay big to, to try to augment uh, you know a wild card pursuit. I kind of wonder, uh, and again, this is all speculation at this point, I do kind of wonder if the Red Sox would be one of those teams that's going to thread the needle, you know, if in fact, uh, you know, it looks like that, uh, you know, uh, that they don't, they're not going to sign Xander Bogarts. You could, in theory, swap Xander Bogarts, get the value out of him, and then maybe add some lesser, uh, you know, pieces that don't cost as much coming back. And that way you can say to your fans, I don't know if they'll believe it, look, we're trying to win. Uh, but we just know Xander's going to hit free agency, and we want to get equal value, and, and so we'll flip the guys. Um, they've got a number of players. You mentioned J.D. Martinez, some members of the rotation, Christian Vasquez, who might actually have value in the trade market. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see as we get closer what choices they make. Bogart's his agent. Actually, Bog- let's back up. This weekend, Bogart said he kind of left a door open to being willing to negotiate in season. And then his agent quickly shut that down the next day. Scott Boris said, now nah, we're going to wait till after the season. How do you think that dynamic really works? Because I got to think, if Bogarts really wants to hear what the Red Sox have to say, can't he override what Boris is saying? He can, and some of the Boris clients have through the years. Uh, you remember Jared Weaver, yeah. you know, the Angels. He got a big offer from the Angels, or what he felt like was. And, uh, you know, Scott, I don't think, would have wanted him to sign before he hit free agency, but he did. Andrew Jones, the same thing happened. Xander Bogarts, you know, when he made his deal a few years back and he wanted to stay with the Red Sox, uh, I think he was the guy, he was the driving force behind that. You know, I suspect, you know, and it's funny because we have the same dynamic happens here in New York with Aaron Judge. Look, if, if some knucklehead reporter like me comes up to a player and says, are you open to talking if they say no then they're the bad guy and so it's better for the player to say oh yeah i'll always listen and then you know their agent comes out and and uh and does their job and they get to be the bad guy and i think that's what happened with Xander the other day in skateboard you know buster let's also talk about some of the other big free agent infield contracts that have been handed out in the last couple of years okay anthony rendon hasn't been great Trevor Story hasn't been great yet. Marcus Semyon's been awful, and we know what happened yeah. to Robinson Cano. Do do those cautionary tales? Do they scare off the Red Sox more, or do they scare off Bogarts more? To where he's like, I've seen what's happened to all these other guys who have left. Maybe I want to stay. Well, I, I and we'll never know the answer because they never got really that close. Uh, through a deal, I do wonder if the Red Sox had stepped out and offered him, you know, a two-year, fifty million dollar extension and put him in the same range as, as Javier Baez, or maybe they put him at the two hundred million dollar level, you know, more in the Marcus Simeon type territory. Would he have been open? But that's what you know. You and I are both surprised at the Red Sox offer because it felt insulting. Yeah, it wasn't even close to some of the other standards, the Javier Baez, the Trevor Story. I don't know how, if you're a you know member of Red Sox ownership, you can walk into a clubhouse with a straight face and say, yeah, we tried to sign Xander Bogart, when a guy across the room, Trevor Story, who doesn't have nearly his history, and I, I say this bluntly, he's not as good of a player as Xander Bogart, got $50 million more. That's part of the reason why that was confusing. 
Let's talk about the Yankees. They just refuse to lose. I feel like they've played the Orioles for the last three weeks. Um, you and I, <laughs> you and I talked about Aaron Judge and the contract offer right at the outset. Uh, you know, right on the eve of opening day, how Judge had turned down an offer. I think it was eight for two sixty. I said he should have taken it. You said he should have taken it. He's he's played well enough to justify not taking it right now. The question is. How much money do you think he's really going to get? Because at the end of the day, he's still going to be a 30-year-old player who has been injured a lot in his career. So I, I don't know like how much better, even with his good production, how much better than 8 for 260 can he get still now? Uh, I think you're understating it, by the way, about you know he's put himself in position. He's having a monster year. <laughs> like We have not seen a player... Uh, you know, bet on himself to this degree as he heads into free agency since CC Sabathia in 2008. Uh, if you remember, you know, he traded from the, from Cleveland to Milwaukee and then he started pitching on three days rest and he was dominant and, <laughs> and he headed into free agency and he set a record by about $60 million. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he cashed in big on that. That's where Aaron Judge is headed right now. Uh, he's on a pace as, as you and I speak to be the first player in more than 20 years to hit 60 homers. He's on a pace to score 130 runs, drive in 130 runs. Uh, you know, he's known as a great guy. He's known as a great teammate. He had that moment with a fan in Toronto. I actually think the trajectory he's on, some owner will look at him and say, you know what, we want that guy to be a centerpiece. And I want to make this absolutely clear what I'm going to say to you now is total speculation at this point because we're a long way away from hitting free agency. If the Red Sox season goes horrifically and Xander Bogarts leaves as a free agent and the fan base is up in arms and your ownership and you want to reset, and we've seen that repeatedly in John Henry's time as owner where, you know, you go from Ben Charrington to Dave Dombrowski, from Dombrowski, uh, you know, to, to Hein Bloom. If you want to reset the conversation around your team, could there be a better player to do that with than Aaron Judge? Okay. You know, it was interesting. Chris Carlin on ESPN Radio nationally said, if you're a Yankee fan, does it hurt more to see Judge go potentially to the Mets or to the Red Sox? The answer has to be the Red Sox, right? Like, Judge can beat me 19 times with the Red Sox. Well, and the reality is is that, the, you know, the Mets have a lot of other big money obligations. Yes, Steve Cohen has the money. He's got any player he wants. Maybe he would do it. My instinct is is that there's there's a better chance that a Red Sox ownership, let's say the Nesson ratings go down, and the fan base is incredibly unhappy because they know over the last three years you traded Mookie Betts, you traded Xander Bogarts. Uh, if the, the Red Sox ownership boomerangs and they look at the free agent market and try to you know, consider who might be someone who can reset the conversation, yeah, Judge would be that guy. And, oh, by the way, this has happened before. In 1998, when Bernie Williams was the free agent, the team that came closest to signing him away from the Yankees, the Red Sox. Mm. He actually turned down more money from the Red Sox to sign with the Yankees. Uh, it would create a whole new dynamic in those negotiations for sure. But again, total speculation. Buster, let me get you out of here on this. I'm going to throw a curveball at you and draw on your experience covering baseball. So the Celtics tonight are in Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals, and they're trailing Miami one game to nothing. Derek White, who's a player on the Celtics who started the last game but is generally a role player, 
He is not going to play tonight because he's going back to Boston to be with his wife for the first for the birth of their first child. Wow. And of course, it's great sports radio fodder for what he should do and if he's letting the team down, etc. In your experience covering sports, how do teammates you know feel about things like this? I got to think that they're largely okay and they get it. Is that your experience? Yes, but I would say that that expectation has evolved. Uh, when I first started covering baseball, the feeling was that you needed to be there for your teammates. Even in regular season games, uh, you know, when there wasn't necessarily anything on the line like the playoffs, for example, and I believe this to be the case, Cal Ripken you know, played in every game for like 15 years, uh, the Ironman. I think both his kids were born uh, on off days. It was <laughs> scheduled delivery. Because the feeling was, you know what, you need to be there. But over time, I think that's changed, and, and I applaud that. Because when you get right down to it, this is your child. And, uh, you know, my daughter just graduated from college last Sunday. I can't imagine, uh, you know, covering Sunday Night Baseball last weekend or when the day she was born in, in 1999, being at a ball game and thinking that's the right place to be. It's the best thing to do for any parent to be there, any father to be there for when their kids are born. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us every, th- every single Thursday at this time. Buster, we appreciate it as always, and we will talk to you in seven days.